to be a champion of truth, you have to have profound personal humility for yourself that maybe you're wrong. You have to have a lot of charity for the other person. But then you also have to have courage. It is a difficult thing. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave Tactical Pants Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Ta- I, I don't own any tactical pants, but you do. Not yet. No, I do. I do. You're- I am now the proud owner of a pair of khaki tactical pants. Oh, they're khaki. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I can wear them to church. Can I tell you the funniest part about tactical pants? Yeah. Uh, they have built-in compartments for knee pads in case you're on a SWAT team. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sure that'll never come in handy, but maybe I could put, I don't know, sticks of gum in there or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> keep, oh, keep them warm. That is awesome. <laughs> Chewy. That is awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of been a nuts, nuts last couple of weeks, so I'm very grateful that you recorded that last episode uh, by yourself. Um, just to catch our Nobody fans else up who don't. Just I know, kidding. I know. If if you're not going to do it, if Dave Tactical Pants Van Vickle's not going to do it, no <laughs> one will. Uh, no, just to keep the non-Catching Foxes listeners up to date, uh, which I don't recommend you go listen to because it's with a lesser co-host. Uh, just kidding. Um, I, had, I intervened in my next door neighbor who had a domestic violence thing, and it was on the driveway right in front of me, and I walked over and tried to uh, calm down the situation and and then the guy escalated it and he was i think he was obliterated out of his mind and his words were now i know where you live now i've seen where you live and uh he wasn't supposed to make bail because it was a second degree felony for burglary of a habitation he robbed his ex-wife um and it's just ridiculous across the board and and yet uh three days later he broke a protection order has been driving in front of our house so he did that for two nights i made my family go we all stayed at my my parents house just so I could sleep through the night because every diesel truck that drove down the street, I was like, what's that? What's that? And living in Texas, everyone has a diesel truck. Right. So that's been it's been super nuts for me and my family. So um, I am trying to do my best to provide and protect and serve, protect and serve my family. And uh, it's been wild. And, and so we just had some handful of medical stuff and all of this just kind of coalesced within a probably about a, what would you say, like a six day period yeah. and like hit a fever pitch. It was stressful for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just been nuts. It's been nuts. I, so, if I hadn't, if it, I didn't have so much going on in my life, I would have just come down and camped in in your front yard in a pup tent and just <laughs> sat there just all day waiting for him. <laughs> Dave the bouncer to spring Dave forth as your burly it, defender. If you would have done that, I would have bought you a pair of tactical pants. <laughs> Maybe even a tactical jacket. I don't even know. Oh man, I don't like wearing pants. I know. I know. Neither do I. But tactical pants, that's a game changer just with the word tactical. Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, who knows when you're going to have to go tack mode. <laughs> yeah, I know. For those of you who don't know what tactical pants are, imagine cargo <laughs> pants, but times a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I, wore them, I wore them to kind of break them in when I took my kids to gymnastics. Like the weather was getting a little cold <laughs> and they're really thick. And so I wore them to gymnastics with my tactical Army Ranger jacket. <laughs> this and is this awesome. <laughs> I know it's so over the top. And this guy said, uh, a buddy of mine, John, he goes, he goes, well, uh, that's a lot of pockets. What are you carrying I in love there? It. And I was like, I got my, 
Apple AirPods. That's about it. And a wallet. And some some rope or something like that. That's what you need. Yeah. Oh, and some nylon cord and a first aid kit. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Good Lord. Oh, it's so silly. That's funny. It's so silly. That's what have you been up to this past couple weeks? Um, Well, uh, taxes. Uh, kind of a mess right now for me. Um, yeah. Because of everything with COVID, it's all complicated. And um, actually, I'll tell you one thing that's good news. I have a, a live in-person mission coming up. Oh, I just had one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You had one last week. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I was so happy. To, I was in Kansas City area at St. Michael's Parish. They were awesome. Oh, me too. Beautiful church. Me, me, I, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's, yeah. Mine's, I guess it's March 14th and 15th, I think. Yeah, and it's in Maryland. Nice. And I'm I'm really excited because I just it's been so long since I've had an in person event and yeah um you know th- this is it's it's starting to wear even on me and I'm the opposite of a extrovert <laughs> you know like I I've I've enjoyed it thoroughly you're like shelter in place heck yes <laughs> yeah right right so but uh, we are yeah, getting g- bucketed with snow right now and I hate yeah. snow so much I hate it. See, in Houston, we never get snow. So my kids got up at 6 o'clock. I went downstairs with them, made a pot of coffee, and they just played in the snow. Yeah. And then you could tell we have Catholic homeschoolers because they took out a big metal bowl outside in the snow, gathered a bunch of fresh powder, packed the bowl, brought it inside, and full Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, little house in the big woods uh, we poured maple syrup on it and ate it, and it was like a snow cone. They're like, it's like a snow cone for breakfast that, with the maple syrup. That is awesome. That is funny. Yeah. That's really funny. It was delicious. Huh. It was delicious. My kids uh, my kids definitely won that one. They don't know what to do with snow. They're like staring at it. Right. We all have like knit gloves, so they're like now soaking wet in their hands or icicles. Yeah. And I'm like, good luck, kids. I got my auto mechanic gloves over here. Right. So so this, is, so this is what my kids are doing in <laughs> speaking of tactical in the snow, yeah. they yeah. they play with these things called airsoft guns. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Do you know what yeah, an yeah. airsoft gun is? Yeah. Well, I did. Like, uh, I did like, not know. Like plastic BBs, almost. Yes, right? I did. I I thought they were toys, and they were setting <laughs> oh, up God. forts, and like snow forts, and then shooting each other. And I drove home, and my son Judah shot me in the neck. I went through the roof. Those things hurt <laughs> so bad. I mean, yeah, they're like they real. It's awful. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I honestly, I, sh- I guess I should look into their stuff a little bit more. But now you, you just to just to let you know, uh, AMDG uh, Common Room <laughs> College. That every so often there would be a guy who had a a pistol airsoft gun, <laughs> and they would take turns shooting each other in the back <laughs> with shirtless. <laughs> That's how dumb. Oh, I love That's it. How dumb we are. I uh, yeah. I was thinking last night. You know, sometimes when I. Like if you're just like in a bad, bad, I don't know if you do this. I don't. It's like a mental thing, right? But like if you're in a bad mood, I'll like I have like several memories that I'll like think about that make me happy, you know. Yeah. And one of the memories is uh, one of your household brothers. I'm gonna say yours because I'm yes. gonna claim your uh, honorary. Your Pat, honorary. Pat, uh, Pat O'Mahony. He built a, built a rocket, and. We were like, let's go outside and shoot it, and it shot and went right into the window. Do you remember this? Yes. Oh, it was awful. It went right yes. past my head, but I, I, I that's what that was the memory I was thinking about last night, and it made me so happy. <laughs> my first encounter with pepper spray was with the same individual. Yeah, and <laughs> we did it. Right, we sprayed it right before, right before student council met in the Colby Claire lobby, and it just wafted up Why through there? the windows. Why did you do uh, that? 
they were in front. I, I didn't do it. I was just near. And they were like, I just want to see how it like comes out of the canister. And it was a fog instead of a stream. And it just wafted up through the open windows and took out the whole group. They oh, were like, ah, man. But it was it was so diluted. It just isn't funny. This isn't funny. Yeah, this is funny. People, be oh, safe. Stuff like that, I be think, safe. is so funny. I think the problem is he didn't have tactical pants. That was the problem. If he just hey, had it, it would have been safe, secure. This this podcast is actually supposed to be about evangelization. So let's. Uh, oh, I thought it was supposed to be about college life. Yeah, right. living that college lifestyle. Okay, we actually do have a good topic. This is a topic that I am nervous about and excited about. Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, why don't thing. you? But I feel like it. I think. Okay, so I yeah. it's like I feel the same way, but I feel like it's something we have to do, and that is is this okay. I think that it's there comes a time in our life, right, when you realize that there are people at higher levels of authority or higher levels of influence who are not teaching the true faith. And when you are, let's say, a DRE, an evangelist or something like that, that you have to make a decision how you're going to deal with that because that yeah. that is a that is a major issue, right? Um, there there are at times where there can be dissident theologians, dissident bishops, religious sisters, priests, different things like that, where um, that that's a major issue because, you know, because yeah. of their authority and because of their influence, uh, what do we do? And so, you know, I, I think it's important for us to kind of broach this topic. Like, how do you, yeah, you know, I'm curious for you. I think yeah. for me, I'm more of a like confront head on person. I'd like yeah. to know what your thoughts are. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's jump out with you. Yeah. So the big thing is we're talking about dissent. We're not talking about, let's say, other other issues like, uh, like assault, like sexual. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when we talk about this, right, we're not confronting creeper behavior that, you know, maybe someone's doing something. We're talking about people who actively engage in teaching what the church clearly does not teach right okay and uh so first and foremost i think your attitude needs to be giving people the benefit of the doubt give them the benefit of the doubt and you need to hear them out um the if you encounter this on an ongoing basis which i have a, a couple stories that kind of revolve around this but my favorite thing to tell people is get the book crucial conversations it is a very powerful book to teach you how to have difficult conversations the funny thing is, and this is kind of like the whole reason for the book, when emotions are high is when the situation matters most. For the record, Dave is flexing on the camera to intimidate me. Uh, reported HR. Um, no, but the uh, the notion of the most important conversations that we have are often the ones that go wrong so quickly because they're so emotional. There's so much invested. Crucial conversations. Lead with facts. Hey, Father, I heard you say this, this, and this during the homily. I might have missed. Then you end with the interpretation, and then you give them and uh, you give them your uh, interpretation with a invitation to challenge. Right? Whoa! If you're so going to do the one-on-one -on -one confrontation, so you, yeah. Okay. Wow. So you're talking about like a person who hears a homily, yeah, going directly to that per going directly to the person so giving the homily. That's interesting. If, yeah. If you hear. If it's not hearsay, if it's hearsay, do a, a, a wider end run. Uh, I'm fine with that. If you're sitting there and you hear theological error, you yeah. hear heresy, you hear dissent. Now, what is dissent versus heresy? Heresy, sometimes people accidentally become heretics, right? You call those material heretics. Like they say, Jesus was a divine uh, person and a human person. No, Jesus had a full human nature, but he was not a human person. He was a divine person. That's probably an accident of right. speech. I, Concise, I, I make, proper language. I make mistakes like that all the time. 
Every and everyone does. Yeah. One day I said I was talking about the re-presentation of the Eucharist, and I said like reenactment like six times, and I was like, "Why did I say that?" Yeah. So anywho, so you have to understand their story where they're coming from. But if you're sitting there and and for instance, um, so I wasn't in the room. This was hearsay, but this is how the homily was reported to me. The church teaches that the co- human conscience is more important than anything else, even church teaching. You are obliged to follow your conscience, even if it's against church teaching, blah, 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 over and over again. That had to be directly confronted because that was not an accident. But right. you do so in justice and charity. Hey, this is what I heard. Did you know that? What am I missing here? Right? right. Boom. Ooh, that's a good. I, I, so I'm glad you started because I, I this yeah. is that's different than what I would have thought. So- yeah, you just th- get them in a submission hold while wearing tactical pants. I get it. I get it. No, 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 no. That, but that I'm glad you said that because that is like probably for our listeners the most common, right? Is a homily that they're hearing yeah. something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm thinking of is like a parish that I've been a part of where um so many of the like there was a men's group that was just totally and completely bought into um I'm not going to remember the was name. Was it the third eye opening their yeah, third right, eye? Right. No, no. No, who's the guy who is, does like the nature spirituality? Father? I, I don't know. Richard Rohr type Yeah, stuff? yeah, Richard Rohr. Yeah, Richard okay. Rohr. Okay, so so where, where so much of it is like you have to be really nuanced, right, to, be, yeah. to, to know what's wrong with it and to know what the issues are. But like for me, I realized with these guys, they were so bought into this, right, to this yeah. like ideology that I had to like – build foundations for them to receive any kind of criticism for it oh so yeah, so yeah. that was like kind of what i did is that like i started to build catechetical foundations for people for them and then finally i said like for instance you know one of the things you might notice is that this is drastically different than that book you guys love uh you know by father Rohr, right and he's like a classic example like i don't i don't mean to pick yeah. on him at all and i didn't even really want to throw out names but i feel like it's i had to as Sorry. an example <laughs> no no i think it's good but you know, he he is wildly popular. And what most people say was like, well, Dave, he's a priest, you know. But the problem is yep. he, there are things very problematic in his teaching, like very, very problematic. So I think it's important, like, to recognize how influential some of these voices are, particularly, like, if you're in ministry, and to start yeah. realize what foundations you need to build for the person to be able to hear the criticism of that those false teachings you know yeah Yeah. like good philosophy good good catechetics those kinds of things the difficulty in arguing the difficulty in a lot of these things is there is an argument to be made and there's an a misunderstanding that constantly occurs when you're talking about theological issues because my biggest thing that i find is not that people like father richard Rohr, who is an intellectual they know too much. It's often a, a deficit of theological training that they know too little. And so what Dave was saying, talking about the men's group, like it's, it's very true. You have to build foundations to get to the building blocks just to be able to have a nuanced conversation because there is a lot of nuance. I mean, the, I'll never forget the day Dr. Um, Patricia failed half the class in a test and she did it. It was a quiz. It was a small quiz, but she did it intentionally because she was trying to drive home the point of precision and theological language. And she was making a distinction between the preexistent logos and the incarnational Jesus. Wow. Right. That the logos took flesh. We call him Jesus. 
but the and so it was a subtle distinction but everyone failed that test that quiz and she drove home that point that theology is about precision because souls are on the line right and when i hear stuff like that part of now this is the nerd in me this is the intellectual pursuit of my faith that my conversion did come about through an intellectual pursuit first and foremost the heart spirituality came later um, which I don't recommend for everyone to do that, but that's just how it happens. So I tend to see things through that lens. And I have realized over the years that, you know, especially 70s, 80s, 90s seminaries were very bad places. The JP2 effect had not trained and transformed a lot of these people. And so one of the things that happens is people were actively taught what what could be called dissident theology or just sloppy theology. They were actively taught it. And one of the things that I've realized is they are taught that being pastoral, whether you're talking about a nun, a DRE, a priest, a bishop, they're taught that being pastoral overrides everything. And, you know, we've had conversations about this on the show before a few weeks ago. Like, you think that way only if you want to, your mission is to keep people in the church, not keep people from destroying their lives. Right. And I think there's a lot of confrontation that happens with sin that we don't want to do. And so we're we're perfectly happy to keep pe- and it's more about our own insecurities. People are happy to use the word pastoral as the word as a substitute for the word loophole, right? Like I know you're doing X, you shouldn't do X. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't do X. I'll just accommodate, I'll walk with you, I'll accompany. And some of them, some of these things, accompaniment is supposed to be about my personal investment in your salvation. It is not I'm giving you permission to live your life yeah. however you want. And maybe generally my witness changes you. So I would encourage you, especially if you are developing really harsh, strict feelings against someone, uh, harsh and bitter feelings against someone who is teaching error, that maybe they were taught error and they don't perceive it that way. So you have to give a lot of grace to this. But at the same time, you also have to realize that to be a champion of truth, you have to have profound personal humility for yourself that maybe you're wrong you have to have a lot of charity for the other person but then you also have have to have courage it is a difficult thing to come forward and say hey i'm on the struggle bus here because you the standing up for the truth will get you shut down especially when it's in opposition to popular theology okay so i i I agree with everything you said one thing that i want to hammer that i think is so important that you said maybe the most important thing about this topic is your your example of the quiz that she failed everyone because of the precision, right? Because souls are at stake, okay? There there is like a certain sense that I've noticed that like we're not supposed to be like orthodoxy undercover police officers, right? <laughs> Where we're like yeah. waiting and wondering like okay, we know they're a dissident, we know they're a heretic, when are they going to actually cross that line and say it so we can call them on it? That's not the way the church works, right? There is something just called dubiousness, right? Like we yeah. should not be teaching dubiously. And so like there are people, and and there's one example I, who I, I won't even bring up because I don't want to get into the weeds. Yeah. But there's one example in particular who is a master at nuancing, right? Who never ever publicly says or writes anything that is outright heresy, but he walks the line constantly and he's wildly yeah. popular, right? That is not okay. It's not like, well, he's never actually crossed the line. In fact, a deacon that I used to work with, we, we had this argument where he was saying like, hold on, you can't be saying 
you shouldn't be excluding his voice from the from this group because he's never actually come out and said anything heretical. And I said, you know, Deacon, that's ridiculous. You, our job is to speak very clearly, abundantly clearly, to make it as clear as possible, not to ever walk that razor wire of a line. That's for that's for university theologians, not for uh, you know popular theology and for the, the theology at large, right? For people who are just trying to get to heaven. I, I think that's yeah. that's really important, and I I do think what you said about the courage is important. That we have a duty. Uh, as those of us who are committed to, you know, um, fruitful discipleship, fruitful evangelization, we have a duty to point out places that are major errors that could lead to pantheism, that could lead to universalism, lead to yeah. moral relativism, all those kinds of things. We have a duty because that will play a role in saving someone's soul. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to... I'm. One of the things that I've been researching lately is because, you know, I'm from Texas. We're a very um, red state, very conservative, right? But I am getting a lot of people who would call themselves very liberal coming into the Catholic Church seeking formation and seeking whether or not they should enter the church. And so what I want to do is I don't want to be like, well, you must become a Republican, right? Like that's shenanigans. Everyone listening to this knows that. Right. But at the same time, there are elements like to be a church based on sacred tradition. There is that which we conserve from the past. And there is an element where conservative, let me put it this way, traditional marriage, traditional family, those are uh, inseparable from the moral teaching of the church. Right. The moral teaching of the church is built around, I mean, just look in the catechism of the Catholic church under part three, uh, the honor your father and mother, right? And when you go and look up that commandment in section two, you will find an, in, an in-depth teaching on the role of the family, the relationship between person and state, person and family. This is a bedrock thing that we cannot compromise on. And so with that, instructing people who are coming from that background, I've had to do a lot of research in how do I win over those folks? And one of the things that has been very helpful for me is known as the, the big five traits, personality traits in psychology. And um, there's a lot of people, it's basically been established that these are the five basic traits that kind of form personality, your degree of openness or closeness, your degree of introversion or extroversion, right? Things like that. Are you agreeable or disagreeable as a human person? And they find that people tend to shuffle themselves into various groups based on this. Like artists are extremely open, right? Conservatives are not on average artists because their temperament is not towards openness. Right. And so they, because what they see is this notion of the continuity of tradition matters, to uphold tradition matters. And so openness to new things might also represent a threat to what matters most. And the reason why I say this is when you are presenting the faith, you find that a lot of liberal people tend to be have high trait openness, and a lot of conservatives have a lot of trait closeness, and that results in a, um, for conservatives in disgust, right? So when things violate the the received understood order, it generates a huge amount of disgust reaction, and that's important to understand why a lot of you know self appointed. Um, you know, heresy hunters and bishop denouncers, why they do that. Because And just listen to the tone of their writing or their podcast or whatever. You can hear the high fever pitch level of disgust, right? Now, that's important because when I'm talking to someone from a liberal perspective who's very open, that openness might be the reason why they're sitting in a Catholic church. Right. 
right? That openness might have led them to say, well, maybe God is real and maybe God is calling me into this. But at the same time, that doesn't lead to absolute loopholing <laughs> in a, an attempt to be pastoral when it comes to the saving truth of the gospel. So just the other day, so my first story was with the the priest talking about the conscience and you're let your conscience do whatever the heck it wants. And you know, all this just total crazy 70s shenanigans. But the other thing was I had this woman come to me and she says, listen, I'm very liberal. My daughter, I converted six years ago. I was at a church in uh, a left part of the country and the pastor routinely blessed same sex unions in the church during mass, all this stuff. And then I come here and all I hear is the opposite. And, uh, you know, you hear these condemning words. And so, you know, she's in a more conservative area. It, it wasn't at my home parish. But um, and so we started talking about this. And I said, listen, you are absolutely right that as a church, we have to be radically inclusive. And I said, but the radical inclusivity is based on charity. But at the same time, we owe a fundamental justice to our creator. And when God gives us a moral command, we cannot soften the command because it affronts us. Part of humility is to lay down our our crafted worldviews for the sake of his. So yes, go with your LGBT plus neighbors. Be with them. Evangelize them. Love them. Have meals at your house where you invite them in. The table fellowship is where we can build. But conversion means leaving an old way of life behind. And not all that makes them them is left behind because not all that makes them then is evil and wrong and sinful and deviant and blah, blah, blah. And so there, but there comes to be a time where like trying to deal with the conservatives uh, and I mean, small C conservatives, I'm not talking like politically. I just mean people who conserve the past as their primary, you know, uh, understanding, they are disgusted with that behavior. And so that behavior immediately puts up a barrier. And so I have to learn like how to overcome that barrier to fellowship, but also how to realize that morality is, is, is the way forward, right? Morality means being a disciple of Jesus. And if you want to be a disciple, you have to follow in his path. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you want to have life, you got to follow the way. And it's about truth. I can't deny the truth for the sake of inclusion. Then inclusion becomes an idol. Yeah, right. And I think uh, the... Two key things to remember from all this, right, is the point that Gomer made about pastoral care. The emphasis on pastoral care, it, it, it's gone haywire, completely haywire to the point where yeah. what we mean is just making people feel comfortable, right? That that's all it is. Yeah. And, and, and the second thing is, you know, th this idea of, look, morality, it, it's like the, the truths of the church are not going to change. And for the most part, leaders who preach a uh, dissident gospel, they they all have this idea that it is going to change soon, right? And you see that a lot in their writings, that they'll, they'll, they'll hear something come out of Rome or something that sounds like a change, and they'll say, see, this is evidence that church, uh, you know, church teaching can change, and it will change one day. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll see this on a myriad of different topics, but there are things that are just true and never will not be true, right? That the church has proclaimed right. and they're dogmatically proclaimed. It won't be changed. Even if it's developed, it will not be made untrue, right? It's not possible. So it's important to remember that because, look, at the end of the day, truth is truth. You, you got to stare it in the face and you got to form your life around that, right? You, you can't yeah. ignore it because it's real and it and it it uh, affects us and it affects whether or not we follow in in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and I I think I think that for 
for us right now as a church, maybe not, it might not be the worst it's ever been for sure. Like you, you mentioned like seminaries in the seventies and stuff like that, that, that was really bad. And, and interestingly, you said, I don't remember the phrase you used, but it was a gentle phrase where you basically said they could be, it could be dissident theology. The book Jesus symbol of God was used in a lot of seminaries in the seventies. And that is a hundred percent dissident theology. It's, it's the most horrific, horrible, uh, you know, perversion of Catholic Christology that you could imagine, right? And that what was is the book title. What is uh, the book Jesus title? symbol of God? I do not recommend it to anyone. I, I have it. I literally <laughs> have it on my on my shelf, and I have a big sticker on it that says "Do not read" because I <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to ever come in and like borrow a book and take it, you know. But but it it was very wildly popular, and it taught that Jesus was not actually God, that it was not divine, right? That the resurrection was just a what do you call it? A psychological Com- reawakening. Yeah, a, you know? a community event of a yeah, psychological right, awakening. Right, good right, lord, right. But, but all, all the stuff, yeah. all the stuff that was popular in both. If you actually start to understand this stuff philosophically, like you saw this creep up in like the seventeen eighties. Right. You know, the 1850s, most of these were German liberal Protestant theologians and then Anglican liberal Protestant theologians. And now and then it's like, finally, the Catholic Church starts to open up to the Protestant world. It's like, we're brothers. And we're like, yeah, look at all your dissident theologians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so my point is that, you know, two things like, you know, you can't hide behind pastoral theology. It, it doesn't work. It's not a real thing. And yeah. Your real, if you are in a professional position or if you're just an evangelist like most of us, right, uh, you have a duty. You have a duty to actually show the full face of Christ. And the full face of Christ is the full teaching of the church as it's been handed down to us and has been very, very clearly communicated. I mean, there are very few points in Catholic theology that I feel have not been clearly enough communicated through the catechism and through the different church teaching. Yeah. I, I, I literally probably count them on one hand. So yeah. so that is you know it, it's it's a duty and you have to do it yeah. and and I I don't know that we're worse off than we ever have been but it's bad right now with social media because all you have to do is say someone's a priest, someone's a religious sister, someone is this, someone is that, right? Uh, or, or even just pop culture people uh or political people, right? And they're highly influential within the faith and even within theological things, which is not the way we want to be, you know? So we have to speak truly and and loudly. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we got a little bit more to wrap up this show, some practical points to guide you. Uh, We want to throw it out to our fine folks over here at Ascension Press. Uh, Email us at eksp at ascensionpress.com. If you want to have your feedback or question read on the show, we are always looking to gather more. We got about four or five still in the hopper that we're working through. So if you have a a unique situation, adult child left the faith, whatever it might be, don't be afraid. Send it on in and uh, we'll review it. And when we can, we'll have it on the show. That's EKSB at AccentulePress.com. We'll be right back. Nestled under the warm Florida sun is a university whose name indicates a vocational call. Ave Maria, Latin for Hail Mary, recalls the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her future vocation, becoming the mother of God. Enriched by God's grace, Mary freely ascends to this call. This is the model for all students. Come to Ave Maria University, where we offer a liberal arts curriculum buoyed by the sacraments. This empowers you to clearly see your vocational call, whatever that might be. Ave Maria University, 
your vocation location. Visit AveMaria.edu or call 1-833-AMUSWFL. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We are going to do a couple practical comments here in order to uh, how to confront specifically people who in a position of authority offer theological error for the corruption of the youth. Just kidding. But the idea is this. Number one, um, that book, Crucial Conversations, is really powerful. But before we talk about that, it is about humility, charity, and justice, right? You have to have personal humility because you might have heard something, you might have misunderstood something, or you actually might be the one in error, okay? So you have to be open to that possibility. Another thing about humility is maybe you can learn something from the encounter that that you didn't have. Like maybe there is a nuance or there is a perspective that can widen your view, right? You don't want to be so closed off because, you know, you read the catechism and you're ready to go in with guns blazing. That is not the way to fraternally correct a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. A rebuke should always be accompanied by encouragement. That's the next step. When you rebuke someone, you do it in love. You know you do it in love because you're encouraging them, right? St. Paul talks about uh, rebuking one another, but he also talks about encouraging one another right here and right now. I think we don't do enough encouragement, right? And that's what we wanted EKSP to be a show that encourages you to evangelize. How awful would it be if we became a show that's the, the doctrinal police? We are not about that. But you need to engage in good, strong encouragement. Dave, when was the last time someone gave you strong encouragement to do your mission? <laughs> uh yeah, I mean besides no, me all the No, 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 that's not true. No, no. I I get I have some priests friends who are like my tough love friends and they give me strong yeah. encouragement. That one of one of the things is like about Father Dave Pavanka. One of the reasons I love him and people always ask me, you know, like well what, what you know, what about him? It's that he was never afraid to tell me when I was wrong. And that was a big deal for me, you know. Yeah. I, I I think that I, he does it a lot. <laughs> I'm wrong a lot. I'm wrong a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. Yeah, and it is powerful. So my next step is, you know, like as we hold other people accountable, hold them accountable the way you would want them to hold you accountable. Let's say you're giving a talk, you're teaching a class, you're having a conversation with a friend. How would you want someone to rebuke you? How would you want someone to correct you or offer some sort of uh, advice to steer you away from incorrect theology. Do that for them, right? You're not there because if you're there just to make a political point or to make an adversary, they won't hear you and the error will endure, right? So if our job is to minimize error, then your job is to maximize charity, right? To be honest, to be straightforward. So the idea is who have you invited into your own life to challenge you on your uh, presuppositions, on your on your wild um, accusations and comments and stuff. Because when you're speaking live, people don't realize this. And this is where I think sometimes, you know, Pope Francis goes off the cuff, and that usually is what gets him in trouble, yeah. right? But people don't realize, like, you're not just trying to teach. You're trying to engage yeah. an yep. audience. You're trying to be funny and serious and this and that and you're like ah and sometimes and by sometimes i mean at least once in every talk you can get, you're trying to jumble too much that you go off the rails right? it happens to me all the time all the time yeah so give people a little bit of grace a little bit of grace in that um and then now my next practical point is do the steps that the book 
um, Crucial Conversations tells you. We all, what we do is we have a knee-jerk narrative. Well, that priest is a liberal. That nun doesn't know what she's talking about. That guy's too rigid. That guy's too conservative. Like, oh, that guy's a JP2 priest. That guy's a Pope Francis priest. I have heard every every category, uh, category error made all the time. We love labels. We hate taking the time to invest in persons. And so uh, the Crucial Conversations, what we do is we throw out a narrative and then we use flat, uh, facts like they are uh, five smooth stones like King David. And we're just hurling. We can't wait to hurl. You never do this. You always do that. You said this. You say this all the time. Whenever we get into that kind of language, that's when you know uh, there's more emotion than reason in the situation. So we start with a narrative. We throw facts like uh, so many slings and arrows, right? And then we judge the person and condemn them. And then a fight ensues. What you should do instead is take a deep breath. Lead with the facts as objectively stated as you can possibly get it. Hey, I noticed that you said this. Now, I don't know what you were talking about, but in this term, it sounded like X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. You lay out the facts. Then you give your narrative stated with humility. It really sounds like, Father, that you were saying that someone's conscience is greater than Scripture and the authority of the church. And I do have a big problem with that. And then with the end of your interpretation, your little narrative, you then give them access to challenge you. Now, I, I might have heard it wrong or maybe, you know, you said it wrong. So where, where, where am I? What am I missing here? Can you tell me that invitation removes the venom? Because now that person feels terrible, right? They're, they feel terrible that you're rebuking them, coming after them, whatever. So you're making it so that a conversation can happen. You might feel like you're ready to slug them out. But that never results in the conclusion that you want, which is the truth, love, and goodness, and beauty of the gospel radiating forth. So if you follow those steps, I'm telling you, you'll at least have a productive conversation, right? And that's that's pretty much all you can do at that so, level. So when do you burn them in the Inquisition fires? When does that happen? Uh, Thursdays. Thursdays. You wait for the next, the following Thursday, no. a minimum of six days. Uh, then you call your bishop. You write a very nasty letter. You never sign your name. You write it anonymous, and then but you start off that letter to the bishop. If you actually cared about your fat Catholic faith, then this yeah, wouldn't right. have happened, right? So you want to go full accusatory <laughs> right out the gate, brothers and sisters. This is yeah. such an important topic in this day and age, right? Yeah. That we uh, there's just so many voices out there. There's so many voices out there, and it's so easy to just say that you speak for the Catholic Church, uh, and we need to let the Church speak for herself, right? We need to unleash the gospel, unleash the truth, uh, unleash catechesis, and let the the truths of the church shine forth um, because there are a lot of voices out there competing. So uh, it's important for evangelists to know. That's absolutely true. All right, y'all. God bless you in the good fight. Uh, remember, encourage people. Don't just look around to rebuke them all. Uh, my name is Gomer. This is Dave. God bless y'all. Stay classy. God bless. <laughs>